You're not good enough, he said. How you've always done it isn't going to work. Your way is just going to keep producing the same results you're getting. Those are the words that my high school baseball coach had to say to me after I started the season one for 11. Mixing in six strikeouts and looking really, really worse than even that. I was lost. No idea what I was doing. And he came to me and told me, you're just not good enough. What you're doing isn't going to work. You keep doing it your way and you're going to keep getting the same results. You ever heard those words from somebody? Parents, you ever said those words to somebody? Bosses, you've ever had to tell somebody that? Those, those words were things, honestly, that I kind of already knew, but he had to go ahead and say it to me, you know? Thanks a lot. It, it, it hurt. I didn't really like to hear it, but it was exactly what I, what I needed to hear. The truth kind of hurt at first. Maybe you know how that feels. But it, it ended up helping me make the necessary changes that I was going to have to make if I was going to continue to be a baseball player. It's just the way it was. We've all got those things. Now, I've never met somebody, never yet, who really, really wants to hear that they're wrong. Not yet. I haven't met anybody. If you're that person, you'll be the first. I have never met anybody that really wants to hear they're wrong, that really wants to hear that their way isn't good, that what they're doing, if they keep doing it, is just going to lead to failure and destruction. I've never met anybody that wants to hear those things, that really just tell me how awful and terrible I am, please, because I love to hear that. I've never met a single person yet. Who, who likes that sort of thing. In fact, what I've come to notice about society, and I don't think this is new, but I've come to notice about our society, since it's the one we live in, that we don't really like the truth that much. We really don't like it. Now, we, we like our version of the truth, whatever that may be. We, we like what we think is true, or the version of the truth that allows us just to keep doing what we want to do. But we don't really care much for the actual truth. And I'll be honest with you, I think even as Christians, sometimes we don't want the full truth. Just give me enough that makes me feel good about my eternal security. A little fire insurance, if you will. Let me just get that taken care of. But the full truth of living for the Lord, and I don't know about all that. I got it covered. We're good. God and I, we got a deal worked out. We don't really like the truth sometimes. But it kind of goes back to, and I showed the clip a couple years ago, I guess it was. About a few good men. No, actually, I quoted it. Do you remember that? Y'all remember that? Some of you were here. Man, I was good that day, too. I was doing my best Jack Nicholson. I had it working that day. Anyway, some of you are like, whatever, man. Just get on with it. Anyway, so it's like from a few good men, right? Where, where, where he says to Tom Cruise's character, what? You can't handle the truth. He says, you really want the truth? Yes, I want the truth. And then he told him, but you can't handle it. The truth sometimes is very difficult, isn't it? I've seen people who can't handle the truth. I've seen husbands who can't handle the truth that they're the problem in the marriage. I've seen wives that can't handle the truth that they're the reason their husband's beaten down. I've seen leaders, bosses, pastors, coaches who can't handle the truth that their people aren't following them because they're treating them poorly. And I've seen employees who can't handle the truth that they have a bad attitude and they're lazy. I've seen Christians who can't handle the truth that they're just not following Jesus. And I've seen churches that can't handle the truth that their love of tradition or their particular worship style or their needing certain kinds of facilities and whatever it may be is a reason that one day they'll die. 
we sometimes don't want the truth. And I ask myself, why even in my own life, why don't I, why don't we want the truth? I think it's because it hurts sometimes, right? Nobody likes to be hurt. Nobody wants to feel criticized. At first, nobody likes something that causes them pain. I mean, who would? Nobody likes discipline. Nobody likes to be told they're wrong. The truth can sometimes hurt. I mean, really, really hurt. But we know, I think, in our heart, deep down we know that the truth, even though it can hurt us, it can help us. We know that it can help us make changes that would otherwise go unnoticed or unchecked. We know that the truth can help us start a habit or stop a habit. We, we know that, it, that the truth can help us restore a relationship. We know that the truth can help turn us around. We know that the truth can help us get closer to Jesus. And, and, and it's that idea of the truth can sometimes hurt, but the truth can always help that we're going to see today in 2 Corinthians. So if you've got your outline there and you like to follow along and like to write things down, write that down first. Here is the main idea that we're going to build from all day long is that the truth can sometimes hurt, but it can always help. If you've got your Bible, I want you to flip over to 2 Corinthians. Some of you may already be there. We've, we've been in 2 Corinthians now for several weeks. Uh, we'll get through the entire book before we're done with this series. We're calling it No Pain, No Gain. And that's really the idea behind what Paul has written to the Corinthians and, and really what Paul has experienced. What, what he experienced was that ministry and growth and and. I guess success, if you will, in God's eyes in ministry comes with a lot of pain. It's not easy. And what he's trying to help the Corinthians understand in what we'll see today is that Paul had to impose some pain on them in order to help them gain what God wanted them to gain. And so there is in life, in every aspect, as you well know, there is no gain without the pain of going through what it takes to accomplish whatever it is that you're seeking out to do. And so what we, where we get to today, it, kind of right in the middle of this letter, is Paul is, is writing about what he had to do for the Corinthians. He had to write a very direct and very painful letter to them. What had happened was Paul had gone to the, to the city of Corinth. He had established a church. He had spent a couple of years there, invested his life in them, poured into them, and then they rejected him completely. They, they just said, no, there is no way that this guy is truly a messenger from the Lord because he would not have all these problems and so on and so forth. And Paul knows this is not just a personal attack, but this is an attack on the gospel of Jesus Christ because if they won't hear from Paul, then they won't hear from the Lord. And so Paul's in a dilemma. He's not taking just personal offense to it. He's making sure that they understand that if you reject me, you're rejecting God's message through me. And so he had to write them a very difficult letter. You ever had to have a tough talk with somebody? You ever had to sit down and say, hey, we need to talk about some things. My dad, by the way, was notorious about this. My sister and I used to joke. Dad, whether he was going to present something very difficult to you or just tell you about the the next day, he would say, uh, hey, come here and sit down. I need to talk to you. So you go over and sit down. You prepare yourself as best you can. He says, hey, uh, yeah, tomorrow we're, we're uh, it's probably going to rain a little bit. Just uh, want you to know. <laughs> well, or it could be, hey, you know what? I, you know, what you did was really, you had no idea what was coming. He said, hey, sit down. I need to talk to you. 
<laughs> we still joke with him about that. But man, have you ever had to do that? You ever had to come here, sit down, and he talk to you? And it's really something serious. Man, it's tough, isn't it? Those conversations are hard to have. Now, some of you are better at it than others. I know that. It doesn't bother me at all. I like just sitting down and telling people how it is. You know, I get that. But it's a tough conversation. Paul struggled with this letter. He wrote them a very difficult letter. In fact, he just blasted them. And, 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 and he told them all kinds of things. Look, you were wrong. You're out of line. This is sinful. And that's tough to do. But he had to do it. And he sent that letter with his... His associate, Titus, who he would later write to, and, and it's one of the, the books of the Bible. But he sent it with Titus, and he had heard nothing. So imagine this. You have no immediate response from the person that you have shared the hard truth with. You don't get an immediate response in the text. Or, or what has happened is if you've got an iPhone, the little bubble that they're typing has popped up, and then it went away. grief either they're typing something that takes forever holy moly or they don't want to respond and the read receipt is on there i mean you know they've read it you know that's what paul's experiencing is that what's happening and he goes and tries to find Titus in Macedonia, and he can't even do ministry because he's so torn up about what's going on. He wants to hear from the Corinthians, and the bubble won't pop back up on the text message. You know what I'm saying? They're not responding. He doesn't know what's happening. Finally, he finds Titus, as we'll see in the scripture, and, and things begin to turn out the way that Paul had hoped they would. Let's look at it in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, look at beginning in verse 2. He says, take us into your hearts. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, defrauded no one. I don't say this to condemn you, for I've already said that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I have great confidence in you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with encouragement. I am overcome with joy in all our afflictions. In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Here's what, what I was just telling you. Instead, we were afflicted in every way. So something goes really wrong. Struggles on the outside, fears inside. But God, who comforts the humble, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort he received from you. He announced to us your deep longing, your sorrow, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For although I grieved you with my letter, I do not regret it. Even though I did regret it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. Now I am rejoicing, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God wills, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance not to be regretted and leading to salvation, but worldly grief produces death. For consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God wills, has produced in you. What desire to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice. In every way you have commended yourselves to be pure in this matter. So that, so even though I wrote to you, it was not because of the one who did wrong or because of the one who was wronged, but in order that your diligence for us might be made plain to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. In addition to our comfort, we were made to rejoice even more over the joy Titus had because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. 
For I have made, if I have made any boast to him about you, I have not been embarrassed. But as I have spoken everything to you in truth, so our boasting to Titus has also turned out to be the truth. And his affection toward you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of all of you. And how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that I have complete confidence in you. These are the words of a guy on the other side of a difficult conversation. In which he had to share the truth, the hard truth that he knew was going to hurt. And he knew that the truth was going to really, really cause them some pain. And this is a guy on the other side of that conversation who realizes that even though I had to present that difficult truth, that it helped them. And it has produced in them what God wanted to see. And that is repentance and true sorrow. And so these are Paul's words after all of that. And there's some things here that I want you to notice today as we talk about receiving the truth that can be difficult, that can hurt, but can help. I really believe that what Paul shows us, three things here, just categories of the truth can sometimes hurt, but it can always help if, and there's a big if, by the way, if three things. The first is if it comes from a godly leader. If it comes from a godly leader... Now, if you are in leadership, this should give you some pause today. If you are following a particular leader, this should help you evaluate, do I need to receive this truth or not receive this truth? And if I am in leadership, do I need to present this truth or not present this truth? Because Paul shows us that the truth can help us if it comes from a godly leader. In fact, what Paul says here, verse 2, he says, take us into your hearts. Look at what he says. We've wronged no one, corrupted no one, defrauded no one. He says, you're in our hearts to die together, to live together. Look at, look at, at his concern and his compassion, his example. And then go down to verse 12. He said, even though I wrote to you, it wasn't because of the one who did wrong or because of the one who was wrong, but in order that your diligence for us might be made plain to you in the sight of God. He's got a pure motive in all this. And then verses 14 and 15, he says, I've bragged about you to, to Titus. And now I know I've not been embarrassed. But if I've spoken anything in truth, our bragging to Titus has also turned out to be the truth. And he's talking about affection and love. Listen, a godly leader will present the truth, but it will come from someone who wants God's best for you. A godly leader will be courageous enough to risk the relationship they have with you in order to see God's will be done in your life. Understand that. Young people, hear me on this for just a second. If your parents are walking with Jesus, they are not there to simply be your friend. You've got lots of friends. You know what your friends do? Tell you whatever in the world you want to hear. They do. Think about it. How many young people, how many friends do you have who've ever told you you're wrong? Other than you're wrong in your choice of music or you're wrong in what you like. You, they don't tell you you're really wrong. Parents will though, won't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Just this morning. On the way to church. We don't even live that far and they already got me. Oh. But isn't it true? Listen, let me tell you this. If your parents are walking with Jesus, you can trust when they tell you that you're wrong. Trust it. And parents, let me flip this around. Leaders, whomever you may be, before you go and tell somebody that they're wrong, be sure you're walking with Jesus. Or that truth isn't going to go very far. A godly leader can present the truth, and it may hurt, but it will eventually help because we know that godly leaders love us and care for us. 
and that they're humble and they're not telling us something that they would not want to receive themselves. They're telling us something. Here's what God says. I know it's going to hurt you and I'm not sorry that it will because I know what it can produce in you. That's the godly leader. Somebody whose life is pure, who's loyal. I'm not talking about perfection, but somebody who's walking with Jesus. You can trust that leader. And young people, back to you for just a second. Unless your friends are walking with Jesus, don't trust what they tell you. Not for a second. It's not because they're bad, awful, terrible, rotten friends. Mm -mm. They're just not walking with Jesus. They don't, they don't have that standard. They don't understand His truth. They don't know what to tell you. They don't have any godly wisdom. A, a godly leader, kind of like Paul was, is the kind that we need, the kind that we need to seek out, the kind that we need to be. Now, I'll tell you, it's hard. Being a godly leader is not easy, and it's hard to find one. So maybe today you just start praying, Lord, bring some godly leaders into my life. Maybe you're a person who says, I, I, I need somebody to help me. And, and it's not easy to even admit that. But, you know, Lord, I'm a young person. I'm a middle-aged person. I'm an older person, and I don't have anybody in my life that I can trust to help me to know what's right and what's wrong. Maybe you start praying for that person. Or maybe you start praying that God would turn you into that person for the folks that you're leading in your life. The truth can help when it comes from somebody who's walking with Jesus, from a godly leader. So evaluate everything that you hear in light of the scripture. Is this person telling me something that God would tell me? And if they are, the truth might still hurt, but it'll help you. So the truth can sometimes hurt, but it can always help if it comes from a godly leader. Secondly, it can always help if it produces godly sorrow. Now Paul, in the translation that I'm reading from this morning, the word is grief. In, in some of the older translations, it says sorrow. And those are relatively interchangeable, but I want you to understand what he's saying. Look in verses 8 through 10. He says, although I grieved you with my letter, which means I hurt you, I do not regret it. Now stop there for just a second. If you're hearing these words and somebody to you says, look, I know I hurt you, but I ain't sorry. Sorry, not sorry, right? I ain't sorry. Um, yeah, but that really hurt. And? Not sorry. Kind of, seems, kind of seems harsh, doesn't it? But Paul, thankfully, doesn't stop there because he gives us the reason why he was not sorry. He says, I, I did regret it for a little bit, though, just so you know. I, just a little bit. Because I thought, man, this is, boy, they're, they're not in a good position. I don't know if they're going to receive this. It's tough. I did, re I did regret it, he said, for just a little bit, uh, but only for a little while. Isn't that great? I love that, that verse right there. I agree. I don't regret it. Well, maybe a little, but not for long. That's pretty good. Anyway, use that one, parents, if you need to. Look, I'm sorry. Well, not really, but maybe a little for not very long. That was, yeah. Anyway, uh, he says, now, however, I'm rejoicing. And here's why he didn't regret it for very long. I'm rejoicing, not because you were grieved. Understand this. It, we, don't, we don't tell the truth to somebody so that we can hurt them with the truth and walk away and say, well, you know what, you just can't deal with the truth. No, you're just a jerk. I mean, that's bottom line, right? No. We don't receive that from somebody who says, well, I don't care if you were hurt by it. That's just the truth. No. No, you're just being rude. Paul says, that's not why I rejoice, because you were hurt by it. Well, you needed to be hurt. Somebody ought to hurt you for what you did to me. No, that's not what he's saying. He says, not because you were grieved, but what? Because your grief or your sorrow, what led to 
repentance. See where Paul's coming from? See his target? His target's not retribution. This dude had every right to take something out on those Corinthians. Man, they did some bad things to him. And you've got a bunch of stuff, I guarantee you, that people have done to you. People have said about you. People have written about you. People have posted about you anonymously. And you've got some stuff that you ought to pay them back for. And you know exactly how Paul felt. And Paul said, I don't regret that what I said to you, what I wrote to you, hurt you. Well, I did for a little, but not for long. But I rejoice now because, not because you were hurt. I don't want to get you back. But because it led to repentance. That's what I was aiming for. I was going for your heart. And, and maybe, again, this is for our leaders and maybe in particular our parents who still have influence over their children. We go for their heart. We don't go just to change their behavior, just to hurt them so they won't do that again. You can slap them on the wrist, spank them on the bottom, do whatever you got to do, put them on restriction, take the car keys away, all that stuff you want to do. But if we don't reach their heart, guess what? There's no repentance. It unchanged. Paul says, I'm not going until you just change your behavior. I want you to, to love God with your whole heart. I want you to turn back to Him. Anyway, he goes on. He says, If you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't, for you were grieved rather as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief or sorrow produces a repentance not to be regretted and leading to salvation. For worldly grief, he says, produces death. There's two different kinds that he's talking about. There, there's first the, the worldly kind of grief, sorrow, he says. He, he says, that, you know, that, that produces anger. You just get mad because somebody told you you're wrong. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's like going back to that baseball example earlier I was sharing with you. At first, I was just mad at my coach. Look, I was an all-star. I came into high school. I've been an all-star every year. You know what I'm saying? I was really good. And he tells me you're no good. Whatever, dude. I got all the trophies at home, man. I was an all-star. Uh, yeah, dude, but you're one for 11. You just struck out six times in a row. Well... Yeah, you know, <laughs> kind of makes you mad sometimes, doesn't it? Tell me that. Who are you, right? Man, it can make you mad. That's worldly sorrow, he says, though. Worldly sorrow is, is, is sort of that remorse. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm sorry if you were offended. You know, I love those apologies. You ever apologize to somebody like that? Well, listen, I'm sorry if that hurt you. Meaning, you're really weak and that shouldn't have hurt you. And I'm really not sorry because you're just weak. That's a non-apology. That's kind of what worldly sorrow does. Well, okay, if I have to apologize, I will. You ever line a kid up and say, go say you're sorry? Sorry. You know? You know what they do? That's worldly sorrow, right? It doesn't mean anything. They don't care. Sorry. No. What Paul says is it produced godly sorrow. It, the truth had confronted them, not to leave them in shame and guilt, but so that they could get back into God's will. He was aiming for their heart. Godly sorrow produces repentance, turning from sin, turning to God. And the truth is required for that to happen. God's truth is meant to transform us, not just to change our behavior for a couple of days. Listen, any sermon that you hear from me is not meant to make you feel guilty so that you go change something so that I'll feel like, oh, well, that sermon was really effective. No. 
If you feel guilty, it's because the Holy Spirit has convicted you of sin. Repent, turn from that, turn to God and begin to live for Him. That's the target. That's what we're going for. The truth had hit them hard, but it helped them because it produced godly sorrow, the kind that led them to turn to the Lord so that He could make changes in their lives. And thirdly, the truth can help, or can, can sometimes hurt, but can always help if, if it results in godly living. Now don't pack up just yet. And I want to look at verse 11 for just a second. The, the truth can sometimes hurt, but it can always help us if it comes from a godly leader and it produces godly sorrow and results in godly living. Look in verse 11 what he says. He says, consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God wills has produced in you. What a desire to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice. In every way you have commended yourselves to be pure in this matter. He talks about all these things that it led to. This difficult letter, this tough conversation, that text message, he really didn't want to send it first, but he's glad that he did because it produced all these things in these people. He says this diligence that you're showing, this desire to live righteously, to make things right, to restore this broken relationship. He says a desire to clear yourselves. They wanted to clear their name with Paul. They weren't going to leave it as it was. They wanted to get past the stigma of what had happened to prove that they were different, to show to everyone who had seen their sin, now look, we've repented. He says, you're now showing indignation. You know what that means? They're upset about their own sin. How often do we get upset about the sins of other people? And by comparison, how seldom do we get upset about our own sin? Paul said, you're showing indignation. You don't want this to be a part of your life anymore. And then he, he talks, he says, what fear? Fear of the Lord, reverence, all toward him. And he says, what deep longing, he says, to see things restored, to have their lives where they need to be. What zeal for holiness. We've sung about it this morning. And what justice, he says, making right what they had done wrong. And that's what the truth of God will do in our lives. It will change us. It results in godly living, and that's why we need the truth. So many of the things that Paul wrote here about the Corinthians have been lost, I think. Not out there in the world, but among Christians. How much diligence do we have? How much grieving over sin? How much desire to make things right is there in your life? How much indignation toward our own sin? How much fear of the Lord? How much deep longing to really be where God wants us to be? How much zeal for holy living? How much justice making up for what we've done wrong? Making right what we've messed up? Maybe this truth is for us today. Not just somebody you're thinking of that says, hey, I need to share this with you. Maybe it's for us. Maybe God is speaking to you and me, and maybe he's saying, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're not doing what's right. You're living in sin. You're just playing the game. You're just casual in your walk with Jesus. You're not loving God with all that you are. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. You're not praying for and loving your enemies. You're seeking your own personal gain. You're full of selfish ambition. You're easily angered. You're not enduring the trials coming your way. You're not walking by faith. What if God's speaking to you today? Or me? Or maybe he's speaking to us as a church. Maybe he says we're not focused enough on the mission that God has given us. Maybe we're not giving generously enough toward God's work. Maybe we're too concerned about how we've always done it. Maybe we were distracted by our preferences. Maybe we're selfish and unwilling to bend. 
Or maybe he's just speaking to someone here who's never, never surrendered in faith to Jesus Christ. I know, I know, I guarantee you this. I know there's somebody here who doesn't know Jesus. I know that. And everybody's thinking, is it me? I'm not saying it because I've had a conversation recently, but I guarantee you every time a church gathers, there's somebody there who doesn't know Jesus. Thinks they do. But they don't. The truth, Paul wrote about it in Romans. <clears throat> he said in chapter 3 that everybody's sinned. Every single person. And we've all fallen short of what God says we're to do. And then he goes on in chapter 6 and he talks about how the payment for sin is death. But the free gift of God, the gift that we didn't earn, can't earn, never will earn, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then he goes on in, in chapter 5 and he talks about how while we were in the midst of our sin, that God loved us so much and demonstrated His love. Didn't just say it, but demonstrated it and sent Jesus, His one and only Son, to die on the cross for us. In the midst of our sin. And he goes on in chapter 10 to tell us that if we will confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. And he says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will receive salvation. Then he goes on in chapter 12 to talk about what happens as a result of that. And he says that we are not to be conformed any longer to this age, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can approve what God's will is, so that we will be living sacrifices, so that our lives will be forever directed toward Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Casual Christianity, by the way, is no such thing. We're on or we're off. That's it. The truth may hurt. It may hurt to hear that you're not living the way that God wants you to live. Maybe you've heard that today from the Holy Spirit. But God will use it to help you. I encourage you, seek out the truth. Seek out godly leaders. Submit to that godly sorrow that, that comes in when you hear the truth. And serve the Lord through godly living. The truth can sometimes hurt, but it can always, always help us. Let's pray together.